Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. <laughs> All right, so we are, we are in the series called What, People? Yeah, Revival Lifestyle, right? You guys are all like, I don't know, it's too early, don't make me talk. All right, Revival Lifestyle Series. And last week, Sean was talking about the fact that we don't need to be superstars, right, to, to actually walk out the commission of God. And so the commission is found, I'm going to read it really quick. It's found out of Mark, the end of Mark, if I can find it here. Mark 16. And it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Who's he talking to? Are we involved in this commission? Maybe I should say it like that. Are we involved in this commission? Yes. Yes. Okay, so it wasn't just for the apostles. It was actually for all believers, right? For all of time. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany, I can't read, those who have believed In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Sean talked last week about, he just actually, most of what he talked about was, was actually sharing stories. He started off with the, with Stephen in the Bible and sharing how Stephen was just a person who had been around Jesus's ministry but he wasn't one of the chosen apostles. He was just, I think Sean called him just a big fat nobody. <laughs> but what Stephen was, was well beyond that. He was actually someone who spent time in the presence of God. So much so that when it came time for the, the apostles to need a shift and to raise up some leaders to help them, they were able to choose him because he had been found faithful. And then what, what's beautiful about this, this fact is that Stephen then began to perform the same signs and wonders that the apostles were performing. And so what you see is somebody who wasn't titled, hadn't spent years with Jesus. I think he had, but he hadn't been on the in crowd. He wasn't the one that Jesus like breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But he was there and he began to, to just wait tables. But in the middle of his waiting tables, he was walking in the supernatural, right? And then he just shared stories of different people, of pizza a pizza guy, you know, who goes and prays for people and just encouraging you guys that we don't have to be super special to be able to step into this. And, and here's the thing, like you guys, most of you know my story, but, but when I was, when we, when I graduated high school, Sean and I were getting married. I was getting ready to turn 18 and I needed a full-time job. And so I found one at a Christian company. It was actually not a Christian company. It was a company that was ran by a Christian. And, um, and so while I was there, you know, I am like 17, 18 years old, terrified of public anything like, so having to answer the phone call at a business, like as the secretary was terrifying to me, you know, but I'm having to now all of a sudden train under these people. And these, a lot of the employees, they did not know Jesus. And I had been raised in public school, so I was around people like that, but I had never been like right next to somebody for hours and hours. And I had a lady who was there who was about 35 years old at the time. She was a single mom of a 12 year old boy. And, um, she was, 
into some stuff that I had never experienced. And she shared it with me every day. <laughs> but what was beautiful was that we just, we just formed a friendship. And during that friendship, like, I, just, I found myself kind of just going, wow, our lives are so different. And, and then this 35-year-old lady who has been living life Making, making her own, like making life work for her. It was a hard life that she had. You know, she had, she had a lot of stuff going on, a lot, probably a lot of trauma to say it like that. And one of the things that I found was that she, as she began to, sh- to talk, she left space for me to speak into her life. And I found myself just sharing the Lord with her in, in so many different ways. It wasn't like, you need to be saved. Instead, it was more of things like, have you considered this? Or have you considered this? Have you considered maybe looking at your perspective or your lifestyle from this perspective? And she would just look at me sometimes and she's like, how old are you? And I'm like, I'm 18. And she's like, how do you know these things? And I'm like, like, I, like just from the Lord. Like, I just know the Lord. And, and later throughout that time, one of, one of the older men in my, in my company um, started having some marriage problems. And one day, I popped into his office to have him sign some information for me. And he just looked at me and he was like, he was like, Misty, help me out here. And he began to just talk to me about his marriage. And, um, and I just remember sitting there like just in grief over over what I was hearing, but, but then I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Like, how do you want me to respond? I'm barely, like, by this, by this point, we'd been married about a year and a half, like two years, um, and, and I was like, what do you, like, this guy's been married, his kids are like three years younger than I am, you know, and, and I'm like, I don't know, what do you want me to say to him? And I felt like the Lord just began to give me wisdom, to, and, and one of the things that he had done was he, he was working, you know, 70 plus hours a week. And, and at some point, listening to his story, I was able to go, Did you, do you hear what your wife is asking for? Your wife's asking for you, not your money. And, and he just sat there and he was like, what? And I'm like, she wants your time. She wants your face. She wants you, not, not your money. So find a way to... Find a way to um, Hold on. Sorry. You guys don't want to listen to my ticking. All right, so I'm going to be gimpy with one earring. <laughs> um, you know, like, I was like, your wife doesn't want just your money. She wants, she wants your time, and she'll take less money if she can have you. And it was one of those things where he just sat there, and he just looked at me, and he was like, she's been telling me that. And I was like, what are you going to do about it? And he began to shift his schedule where he was working 40 hours a week and he would come in when, when to clock in and he would leave at five o'clock when we clocked out. And his marriage, you know, several years later when we came home from the mission field, because we left in the middle of him working on it, we came home from the mission field and they called us and they were like, Shauna, Misty, you have to come to dinner with us. You have to see. You have to know what's going on in our marriage, in our life. Like the Lord saved the marriage, but it was, it was simply through this I was a big fat nobody in that. I was literally just the administrative assistant. My job was to take care of all of the people who were running their business. I would make phone calls for them. I was their secretary. I didn't have a special job. I didn't have a title. 
I went to work 40 hours a week and I went to college the rest of my life and I literally, like that was what we were doing with our life. I wasn't somebody that was super special. I just chose to lean into the Lord and to allow people's relationships to touch me. And then I began to just listen and, and just listen to the Lord and go, what do you want me to say? This is part of revival lifestyle. But the other part of it is what we just read in, Matthew, or in Mark. It's also in Matthew. But we are called to then take a step further, right? And begin to actually say, can I pray with you now? Like, let's take it a step further even than what I did and say, now that we've, I've counseled and I've shared with you, but can I also, can I also step in, right? And, and pray with you. Here's the thing. That's scary. Why is it scary? It's scary because our culture and every culture I've ever been to in the entire world, which is several, not all, several, you know, is this. Our, we are raised with this, I don't know, it's just a cultural thing that every culture I've ever seen, we, can, we are called to conform to our world, right? What are the two things we shouldn't talk about? Everybody knows that. Politics and religion. We're not supposed to talk about it, right? So what happens when we have Jesus telling us we're supposed to do, talk about him, right? But we have a culture that says we're not supposed to talk about politics and religion. You know, we are, we aren't, we are being conformed from the time that we're little into something. Our families have a culture that we conform our children to, right? Hopefully that's a righteous, godly culture that we're creating in our kids. But then the culture, we send our, a lot of us send our kids to public school. And that's, that culture begins to conform our children, right? They have to wear the right shoes. Or you have somebody walk up to them and go, what are those? And all of a sudden, that kid who isn't wearing the name shoe that they're supposed to name is shamed. What happens then? They go home and they're like, hey, I got to have the proper shoes, because this is embarrassing, because I was just told that I was out of conformity, right? Through elementary school, like I'm watching it with my third grader. I'm watching him get like shifted and changed. And, and Sean and I had asked the other day, we were like, is he normal? Like, is he's just like a ball of energy, total crazy kid. And I'm like, and then we showed up at a parade and I'm like, oh, yep, he's definitely conformed to the rest of them. And they were like all on top of each other, touching each other. Like it was, it was crazy. I, like, and, and it was, but we, we are taught from the time that we're little to conform to the people around us, right? You know, what happens if we don't? We get teased, made fun of. We're called weird. We notice the people who look different than us, right? The people who aren't conformed to us, Right? And so the world boxes us in, and then the world says things like, don't talk about politics and religion. Why? Because that means that you're going to start pulling division, right? The moment you start talking about religion, people are going to get upset. The moment you start talking about politics, people still do get upset, right? Like, it's like somebody who shows up here not wearing a chief's jersey, and they wear somebody else, like the cowboys. What happens to them? They get bullied, right? <laughs> Sean, you know, but, but that's the thing. Like, we are, we are teaching. Like, we are in a culture that is constantly trying to get us to conform. But what does Romans 12, 1 says, say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? 
I feel like even when it comes to stepping into the commission, here's the thing. The world, the Christian world, has a conformity that we are supposed to look like nice Christians and our lifestyle needs to look beautiful. And oh my goodness, for a few years there, if you had a tattoo, you might not know Jesus, right? And now it started to shift. And that culture is starting to go, okay, well, I think you might know Jesus, but you might have just had a really rough past because you got a tattoo, right? Like there's still a, there's still a mindset that we have as Christians that says you should look like this. And here's the thing. When people start getting weird and they're like talking to somebody and they're Christians in the church and they're like, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And the other person goes, let me pray for you. They're like, whoa, you're different. You're weird. What's going on, right? That shouldn't be the case because we should be conformed to what Jesus says to do, right? So when we're talking to somebody and we find out that they're sick, we should be like, hey, let's lean into Jesus about that right? But every time we step out of the conformity that we're supposed to be in, so the world puts this on us, there's usually fear involved. For most of us, 85% of us are not people who love to rock the boat. There's about three or five percent of you who at your core love to rock the boat, <laughs> and you don't care what the world says. You just like to be different, right? And then there's a few people in the middle who are kind of like, I care, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? Yeah. But most of us, like according to our personality types, we don't like to rock the boat. We enjoy the safety of conformity. We do. We enjoy the safety of conformity. We just want to show up, not be seen, go through life, live a good life, you know, and hopefully somebody notices that I look a little bit different than they do and they begin to ask me, and then I might share Jesus. I might just go, I don't know, I've just had a really good life. That's not the truth, though, right? Here's the thing. We have to do something different. Okay, so... This is where my, my message gets a little bit weird because I had it all planned out and then during prayer, the Lord like gave me a little extra. So <laughs> I'm going to contrast really quickly two different scenarios in the, Old Test- or in, the, in the Bible, okay? The first one we're going to, and I'm looking for it because I had to write it down in like a really big hurry if I can read my own words. Okay, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's actually out of Numbers 13 and 14 where a lot of you guys, if you've been raised in the church, you probably know about it. So the Israelites were in Egypt. They got set free by Jesus. That's where the whole like Moses shows up and does a lot of really amazing things and he leads them out of Egypt and they are now at the promised land, right? They are now right ready to cross over. It's just been about, I think it's about 30, 30 days or so that they have walked or 40 days that they have crossed into or to the edge of the promised land. And they're sitting there ready to look inside. And so God has Moses send spies out into the land to go out and to look and to get a report. So out of these spies, there were two of them that I remember their names to. That's Joshua and Caleb, right? Now, what happened was they were leaders. They were chosen leaders. So there were, each tribe had a leader. And they were, these people were the leaders in the tribe that they chose. So each one of the people who they chose to go out to be spies were considered leaders in the entire community. Okay? And so those people go out 
And they go and they look through the promised land and it's everything that Jesus has said it is. Or, you know, and so they come back and they're like, it is beautiful. It is flowing with milk and honey. It's everything that God has promised. We're going to step into the beauty of God and the fulfillment of his promises. It's going to be amazing. That's what, that's what they saw when they went there. Everything God has said about the promised land is true. They were like, but... It also has giants. It's also really scary. And it's outside of our culture because we're not fighters. We've never had battles. We're not, you know, we're not trained like this. And it's scary. And so what they did was 10 of the spies convinced the entire community that it was too scary to go in. Two of them fought against it. Like, weeping and trying to get people to listen. Listen, don't you trust God? God's going to take care of us. God's going to be with us. Don't you understand that there's something better? We can trust him with, his, with the scary. And they refused to do that. But this is what I loved. Like the Lord was kind of just whispering this today. He had said it wasn't, well, and then at the end of it, to, to bring it all together, they, the whole entire Israelite community almost killed Moses and um, and they actually and God actually came in and said you know this generation will not go into the promised land they will not see it and it was another 40 years before they got to go after everybody who had been a part of that had died except for Joshua and Caleb and I was like kind of like I know the story and what what you might not know about Joshua is it says that Joshua was always found in the tent the place where God's presence was. And so when Moses, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man, and when Moses would go into the tent to meet with God, Joshua wouldn't leave when Moses did. He would just stay there in the presence of God. And then Caleb got partnered with Moses, or with Joshua. So when they were out looking at the land, you know, Caleb's like, whoa, those guys are huge. And Joshua's like, God's got this. Why did he know that? Because he'd spent time in the presence of God. He had spent time in the presence of God. And this is what I felt like the Lord had said. He said it wasn't that they just had fear or unbelief about going into the promised land and fighting this. He said it was that they stayed in it. They, they made a choice to say, I'm afraid, I don't believe God will show up, and so I will choose to not obey God. And I think that a lot of us feel like that with the Great Commission. We're like... I'm scared to death to pray for somebody to get healed. I'm scared to death to, to even talk to somebody about Jesus. And so I just won't. Because instead of choosing to risk, we choose conformity. And we take a step back and we conform to the world. And the world says, don't be weird. And it's weird to talk to people about Jesus. Especially in the way that we believe right? And so we take this step back and we go, I'm going to stay in my fear and I'm going to stay in my safe zone and of unbelief. I don't believe he's actually going to show up. And so I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stay here and I'm just going to not obey the commission. I'm not going to step into it. And I really feel like there's another really beautiful story that gives us different perspective of what we should do. Now, this is where you guys are going to have to, like, hold on to your seats. Because I have a lot of scripture to read to you. And I'm not supposed to read more than, like, three or four verses, according to our theology professor people who tell us how to preach. 
but we're going to ignore them. Okay, and we're going to read this like a story. So there's, during this, there's going to be a couple verses that pop up that I really want you to emphasize, but most of it, I just want you to listen to this story, okay? So we understand that in the Old Testament, you know, the leaders, the people who are supposed to be like the ones who hear God, they chose to obey fear and unbelief, and they did not choose to obey God, and they had grave, lifelong consequences for that, Right? So listen to this. This is out of Acts 3. Okay? Now, bear with me. Here we go. One afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple for the three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance of the gate called Beautiful, they were captured by the side of a man, crippled from, from birth, being carried and placed at the entrance to the temple. He was often brought there to beg money from those who were going to worship. When he noticed Peter and John going into the temple, he begged them for money. Peter and John looked straight at them, at him, into his eyes of the crippled man, and he said, Look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. Then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man. As he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into his crippled feet and ankles. Sorry. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then he began to walk around. As he went into the temple courts with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and shouts, shouted praises to God. He's drawing attention. Something weird just happened. When all the people saw him jumping up and down and heard him glorifying God, they realized that it was the crippled beggar that they had passed by in front of the beautiful gate. Astonishment swept over the crowd, for they were amazed over what had happened to him. Dumbfounded over what they were witnessing, the crowd ran over to Peter and John, who were standing under the covered walkway called Solomon's Porch. Standing there was also the healed beggar clinging to Peter and John. With the crowd surrounding him, the, um, Peter began to preach Jesus to them. Okay, and I'm not going to read everything that Peter said. Go back and read it yourself. It's out of Acts 3. It's a really great story at 3 through 5. Okay, but here's, here's what I want you to hear. Peter and John... We're going to see in just a little bit that the Bible actually calls them regular men. We're walking, and they happened to notice that there was a person who was broken in front of them. And instead of just passing them by, like so many of the other people had done, they stopped, and they leaned into what they had seen Jesus do throughout all of the last three years that they had spent with him. And they took a risk, and they stepped out of their comfort zone because Back then, they would be kicked out of the religious temple for doing something like this, especially speaking in Jesus' name. So many people had already been removed from the synagogue for doing such a thing. And they reached down and they healed this man, right? And then chaos happens. Everybody recognizes this guy's screaming and shouting, right? And he's jumping up and down. He's causing a scene, and they're inside, and now all of a sudden, all these people have come to them. And so Peter looks around, and he's like, well, I guess I'm on. And he begins to speak to the people about what happened. And what, one of the primary points that he says is, he's like, this wasn't me. This was Jesus who did this. Jesus did this, all right? Now we're going to fast forward to chapter 4. Verses 1 through 4, and it says, The teaching and preaching of 
Peter and John, angered the priests, the captain of the police temple, or the temple police, and the representatives of the Jewish sect called the Sadducees. They were furious that the people were being taught that in Jesus' name there was a resurrection from the dead. So while Peter and John were still speaking, the Jewish authorities came to the temple courts to oppose them. They had them arrested, and since it was already evening, they kept them in custody until the next day. Yet there were many in the crowd who believed the message, bringing a total number of men who believed to nearly 5,000. Okay? So get this picture for me for just a second. Peter and John are heading to the temple to spend time in the presence of God, and on the way they have an encounter with him where they choose to step into the commission. Right? And chaos ensues, and all of a sudden Peter finds himself now preaching to at least 5,000 men, but I would assume it's a lot more. Plus, I think in the area he was in, women were also allowed to be in. I might be wrong on that point. Don't quote me. Okay? So they were, he is preaching to all these people, and 5,000 men give their hearts to the Lord. Right? This is a, like, can you imagine? Could you imagine, like, praying for somebody in Walmart and having all of a sudden, you know, a crowd, and you're like, what do I do now? Well, Peter was like, well, I guess they need to hear about Jesus, right? And so he steps into it. The next day, this is not part of, you don't, you're not going to see it on the scripture. The next day, many Jewish leaders, religious scholars, and elders of the people convened a meeting in Jerusalem, okay? So Peter and John get thrown in prison. It's not a pretty prison like it is here, just saying, right? They get thrown into prison, left for the night. The next morning, there's a huge group of very angry religious leaders who are ready to figure out what's going on. And... Um, and they have a conversation. I'm going to skip through a lot of the verses because I'm not going to read two, two full chapters. And verse 8 out of um, Acts 4, it says this. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he answered to the, the leaders. And he said, respected elders and leaders of the people, let me, let me share with you. Listen to this. And he begins to talk again about who Jesus was. But he did it with honor and with respect to the people who were coming against him. And this is what verse 13 was. This is why it's so important to hear this. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had any religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Standing there with them was the healed man, and there was nothing further that they could say. Do you hear that? The, the leaders, the people who were, who were inquiring, like they were interrogating these men, started to recognize, oh, these are just regular guys. These are just, isn't he a fisherman? Like, he doesn't have any spiritual training. He hasn't gone to seminary. He hasn't, he, he what, how did that happen? Right? These are just ordinary people. Jesus intentionally called ordinary people to do something extraordinary. And that commission didn't stop with 12. You'll see it throughout the entire New Testament as you begin to read it, that, that it's, it just kept going. Right? But it was ordinary people. Verse 18 says, They had them brought back in before the council, and they commanded them to never teach the people or speak again using the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, You can judge for yourselves. Is it better for us to listen to you or to God? It's impossible for us to stop speaking about all the things that we've seen and heard. Guys, that's our response to the culture. 
that wants to conform us into silence is that you can judge for yourself whether you think that I'm right or wrong. It doesn't really matter to me, but I'm going to listen to Jesus. Like when he tells me and he whispers, hey, go pray for that person. I might be terrified, but I'm going to do it. You know, but they had consequences, right? God didn't just protect, like he didn't just keep them safe. And, you know, Jesus wasn't kept safe either, right? So he preaches, he heals a sick guy, and then he gets thrown in prison. And then they're told by all of the leadership, don't do this ever again. Right? Like, this is a scary deal. Can you imagine coming to church? I've, we've actually heard of stories of people who have been healed, and they have been told not to keep coming to church anymore because it's offensive that they're healed. There are churches that believe that, that God wouldn't do that today, and the fact that they're sharing their testimony is offensive. Right? We have to choose to listen to God and not be conformed to the pattern of the culture that's being set for us. All right? Now listen to this. This is the part of the story where it comes in really personal for you because this is where the contrast happens between what happened in Exodus where they were in fear and and unbelief and they chose to stay there and what happened to not just the apostles, not just Peter and John, but everybody who was with them. Okay? Here we go. I got to find my notes. Okay. So Peter and John get released. They get told, don't do this ever again. Now they're released. We're going to go to Acts 4.23. As soon as they were released from custody, Peter and John went to the other believers and explained all that had happened with the high priest and the elders. And when the believers heard their report, they raised their voices in unity and they prayed, Lord God, you are the Lord of all. You created the heaven, the earth, the sky, and the sea, and everything that's in them. And now I'm going to pause here. I'm not going to go through the entire prayer, but I want you to listen to this. The first response, and fear came in. Do you understand that, what happened? Peter and John were put in prison for the entire night. They come back, and they're like, we just got told we can't, we can't do this anymore, but we have to. And instead of them all, like in, in Exodus believing the bad report and being living in fear and choosing that. Instead, they, they did something very different. They pressed into the Lord. There was an intentional shift where they said, we're going to step in. We're going to step into to what the Lord says. And the first thing they began to do was they began to, to explain to themselves, remind themselves how big God was. They were like, we just heard a scary report and now we're going to come in and we're going to say, you are the one who's created the entire universe, the earth, the sky, the sea, and everything that's in them. They, they begin to magnify God. You are big. You are so incredibly big over us. You're the God who's done all these things. And they begin to talk about how good God was, right? And so they, they're building themselves up in faith. They're beginning to remember how big he is, Right? And they're not letting fear win. Instead, they recognize they have fear and they step into it. They step into the presence of God and they're like, we're going to face this fear. And listen to the end of their prayer. Out of verse 29, it says, So now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your Holy Spirit, your Holy Son, Jesus. Okay, pause here for a second. Do you hear that? 
They're not backing down. They're taking a step in. And they're like, you know, we've been threatened. There's a line that's been drawn in the sand and we were told not to cross it. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to cross it, but we're not crossing it out of rebellion. We're not crossing it out of, out of anger or frustration. We're crossing it out of trust. You're a God that's so incredibly big and you have told us to go and do this. And we're going to go after the people because you told us to. Right? They stayed in honor toward their leaders even though they didn't obey them. They were never disrespectful to the people who were telling them to get in line and to conform. But they did not obey them. Through respect, they said, we hear you and you get to judge whether or not we're doing what's right and whatever comes, we will accept it. And we see throughout the New Testament, they get thrown into jail over and over and over again and beaten and most of them murdered. Right? Come whatever the cost, I'm willing to step into it because God is so big and he's so good and we love him so much and we have to share what he's telling us. We have to do this. Here's the thing. This is what I love about it. Listen to the last verse. At that moment, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building that they were in to tremble. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. The only two people in Exodus that had boldness and who trusted God were the people who spent time in the presence of God, who knew him, who knew his character, who knew who God was, who saw him show up over and over and over again. When it came time for the disciples, they'd already been filled with the Spirit. I skipped the part where they got the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of Acts. This is the second time that God came in and overwhelmed them with his presence. It's the second infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that one was specifically for boldness. So they heard something that terrified them and they ran into the presence of God because they knew his presence. Because they knew him. Just ordinary people like you and me. Ordinary people like you and me stepping into the presence of God and going, we need some more, uh, we need boldness because we're scared, but we're going to keep doing this. Would you show up and heal as we continue to proclaim your name? And then God came. His Holy Spirit came, right? When we begin to step into that place where we're like, you know what? We're going to be bold. We're going to step out. I would say, first of all, saturate in the presence, yourself in the presence of God. Find your place with God. Find who he is. Don't just do it out of obedience. Do it out of a love relationship with him because that's where the, the disciples lived. They lived in a relationship with him. They knew him. They spent time with him. That's what it said about them. They were ordinary men, but it was clear that they had spent time in the presence of Jesus. We are going to be known and we're going to walk in authority as we are just recognized as ordinary people who have spent time in the presence of Jesus and we're bold because of it, because his presence just comes in on us. So what do we do when we're afraid? You know, like so many of us have had these moments where we're walking down the street and we're like, oh, I felt like God told me to give that guy money. I'm scared to do that. I don't know what to say to him. I don't know how to talk to him. I don't know what to, I'm, my life is like not perfect right now and I could use the money and there's a thousand things and we're like, you know what? I'm sure I just, I probably just am hearing myself. And we walk off. 
And we go home, we get in the car, and we're like, I knew that was God. And we turn around, that person's gone, and we're like, man, I lost that opportunity. What do we do when we've succumbed to fear? What do we do when we've rationalized ourselves out of it? We go back into his presence, and we go, oh, I missed you. Of course I'm not more merciful than you are. Of course that if I heard to give that person money, that wasn't just my mercy talking, that was your mercy talking, and I should have listened. I'm not more merciful than you are. And so I, I, I failed. I, I missed the mark. And so would you forgive me and let my ears hear you again and help me to not be afraid. I need more boldness, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you bring me more boldness? And we sit in his presence. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, I'm sniffing. I've been dealing with a cold. And my nose has decided it wants to run now. Okay. I feel like there was a, there was a little thing I missed here. Hold on. We have, we have a, a call to step into a revival lifestyle. What does that mean? It means that as we're doing our life, we're in our job, we're doing the things, <laughs> thank you, we're doing the things of, of our regular life, you know, that the Holy Spirit wants to step in and he wants to touch the people around us, right? So revival lifestyle is something that's very simple. It should just be normal. It should be our new cultural norm where we are just doing life and we're listening to God and we're willing to be bold, and, bold for him and just to step into what he says at the risk of whatever because we love him. Right? Does that make sense? All right, I have a testimony from one of your very own. So one of our own people, I'm going to leave them anonymous, sent me an email um, this week. And I want to read it to you because it's absolutely beautiful. This is somebody who walked out what Sean preached last week and just took a risk, okay? And it's the beginning, I think, of what's going to be absolutely beautiful. She said, I'll put a gender there. She, she said, this morning we had a parent event, Donuts, and donuts with Grown-Ups, and a former student of mine, now a kindergarten parent, was there. She is battling cancer and expressed her chemo yesterday was really rough on her. After we talked, I told her that I wanted to pray for her if that was okay. Just really quick in the hallway, she slid up next to me and let me pray complete for her for complete healing. She actually even let me give her a side squeeze, and she was genuinely very grateful and receptive. I have been bold about praying for, for and with parents, but I would never, ever have prayed for healing prayer. <laughs> she said, the Lord specifically told me to pray for her healing. And I was like, all right, here we go. I could see Sean saying, you heard him, do it. This is a student who, when I had her as my student, she recoiled when I would even call on her in class. So today we got to come full circle. Guys, this is somebody who, they, they're already used to praying for people. They're already used to going, hey, can I pray for that? But she heard the Holy Spirit say, no, 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 make your prayer specific. Pray for her healing. And she was like, oh my gosh, here we go. This is scary. And she hears Sean, she, she hears Sean in her head going, you can do it, you know? And, and she's like, here we go. And she had nobody around her to pray with her. She just stepped in with boldness and prayed for somebody and let them know Jesus sees you and he loves you and he's with you and he wants your healing. 
Guys, this is everyday Christianity. We can't keep our Christian little side part of our life, it should never be a side part of our life, in a box. If we're silent Christians, we're not Christians. I'm serious. If we don't talk about him, we don't know him. Okay? We can't hide our Christianity under a little hat and act like we're Christians, but nobody can know. Because that's not what it looks like to be a Christian. It has to affect everything. He can't be a side part of us. He has to literally fill us to to full. Right? And then he overflows to the people around us because we just love them that much. And we care more about them than we do about being conformed to this world. Right? So let's pray for boldness today, okay? Yeah, so Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come. God, we recognize that you are so big. You've created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, you've set the seas in their place and told them where to stop. God, you are, <laughs> you are so incredibly big that you actually also fit between every single molecule inside of us. We recognize, God, that this, this message isn't calling people to a safe life, but it's calling us to be fully alive with you. And Jesus, we just ask for boldness to step into it, no matter the risk, to step into hearing your voice and obeying you, God. Would you forgive us for the times we've been like the Israelites who, who in unbelief and fear have chosen to disobey you, God? We want to step into our promise. And so, God, we just, yeah, we just choose to ask you for more boldness. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us fresh today? Would you give us eyes to see people and ears to hear your voice and the boldness and the courage to step out of our comfort zone and be weird for you? Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.